0: Not only ring true, but are words that save us, that drive the darkness from our midst, even now. So, Lord, would you speak your word afresh and anew to us? And when we say that, we mean speak our Lord Jesus Christ to us, our Father, our Mama. Do so now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, good evening and welcome. As I said, it's the first Sunday after Christmas, so it is New Year's Eve. I get it. The Tax Slayer Bowl has been played, I believe. How about that for the name of a bowl? Tax Slayer Bowl. I have no affiliation with Tax Slayer. Um, other football games will be played, and so we feel the, the rush and the hurry of, of New Year's. Amy and I celebrated 16 years on Friday, December 22nd, and we were in New York City. And we left New York on December 29th, but by about the 27th, or 28th, New York had long forgotten about Christmas, and they had moved on to New Year's. And we had gone from very nice visitors, you know, people that they were glad to see, to you blankety blank tourists, etc. So we were glad to leave. So don't let don't let Manhattan happen to you right now. <laughs> This is not blankety-blank Jesus. This is Christmas. This is still in the 12 days of Christmas. And for that reason, I have a a short homily for you tonight. And I'm probably going to read most of it. So I normally don't read because I like to have eye contact. I like to make sure. And that's why I'm, see how I'm doing this? I'm like down in the people. Remember, the word became became flesh and dwelt among us. Have you ever wondered why we walked the gospel out? We, we do it because of that verse we just read, John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we put it right in the middle. So today I want to talk about some of these beautiful words that we've heard. These two passages are two of my favorite. I'll never forget when I learned to read Greek and I was reading John chapter 1 because John's gospel is probably the easiest book in the New Testament to read. And I didn't really know what the words were. I just knew you know, like, Logos was Word, and Phaon and Phaos was God, and all that stuff. And I didn't really know exactly what I was reading, because I was still learning it, but as I was reading it, I thought, my goodness, this is poetic. It was beautiful. And does it seem beautiful to you when it's read? I don't know. It's no Thomas Kincaid painting, but... Sorry, I should have said so tonight I want to talk to you about the beauty of a word, and I'm eager to think about the word and what it means. Now, normally on this Sunday, if I'm preaching, I'll talk about how in Spanish, instead of saying the word became flesh, instead of saying the, the palabra, which is the Spanish word for word, in Spanish you say the verbo, the verbo, the, the word of action is full of potency and potential and Um, unforeseen power and beauty that will come among us. So I normally do that. But tonight, I want to think about word in light of reading poetry. I got a book recommendation from some of our um, wiser people in the room. And one of them said, you should really read Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. And I thought, gosh, that sounds like a really... Awesome recommendation, so I got it, and he recommended, which I was kind of sarcastic about, that, sarcastic about that. But I got it because it's it's a it's a long poem written in the fourteen hundreds, and it's in Old English, so it has this Norse kind of sound to it. But it's about Christmas. It's about King Arthur's court, and this big green man comes into their court during Christmas tide, and Sir Gawain faces a challenge. Yada yada yada. About a year later. Something happens on New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. So I'm thinking about that, and I'm reading this new translation of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight by Simon Armitage. And Armitage, in his introduction, talks about how this kind of poetry in the old English language was alliterative, meaning it had a lot of the same sounds, and it had a certain rhythm of percussion, and a certain pattern of consonants of sounds going together. In As I read that introduction, and as I read the story, I was really caught up in it. I was struck by two things about poetry and about word. First, the timeliness of words in verse, and the beauty of words in verse. When we think about timeliness, it's hard not to think about what St. Paul just said in Galatians 2 and four. He says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. So, it wasn't too early, it wasn't too late, it wasn't hastily delivered, it wasn't scrawled out on a piece of paper, or thought up in a back room of heaven, and and like a crapshoot, roll the dice and see what happens. In the fullness of The time was ripe when everything was perfect, St. Paul says. And in poetry, there's a similar choice to be made when a poet is writing a poem. You could use one word that means something, but wouldn't it be better to use a different word that maybe fits its context just a little bit better? And so the poet chooses the word that not only evokes the meaning or the intended image, but also, and because they're so deeply linked, the sound, the sound and the meaning of the word go hand in hand. Simon Armitage says of this, and I don't think this guy's a Christian, but I think there's some lessons to draw from what he's saying about poetry and what we can see in the word made flesh that is dwelling among us. He says poetry is not just meaning and information. And if we've ever lived in a day and age where we have access to unbridled information, (laughs) devoid of meaning, devoid of wisdom, this is a day and age where we might learn a thing or two from poetry. Armitage says, poetry is not just meaning and information. Poetry is about manner, so the way in which it's conveyed, as much as it is about matter. The manner in which words behave under certain conditions and in particular surroundings. Now think about the word made flesh. Think about the fullness of time. That God the Father chose just the right time to let His only begotten Son be born, not just anywhere, not in a palace, mind you, not to some great princess or queen, in manner in matter, but the manner in which Jesus came among us was very obscure, very humble, humiliating even for Mary. A girl maybe of 12 or 13 years old. A girl pledged to Joseph, this older man, but now is with child. In the manner in which he calls, again, there there were some kings, but notice the kings weren't, they weren't from Israel. And the kings, they came later. That's, That's what we celebrate around Epiphany time. But the kings were from another country, from a country to the east, probably modern-day Iran. So think about that Word made flesh, spoken, not into existence, because we heard from John that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So he wasn't spoken into existence, but he was, use this word around this time of year, he was incarnated. He became flesh in a particular (laughs) man. So if words have a specific sound and meaning, what might be the sound and meaning of the word, the logos? That's the Greek word. What is the sound and meaning of the word made flesh? And why talk about poetry? Is it really necessary, Jay? Isn't it a little bit off topic? Well, verse is word in its highest form its most delicious state. A friend and I were talking about an old hymn written about the same time as Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. And he was recounting a line and he said, man, that's like, that's like a hot roll with butter in the middle. It's just delicious. And poetry really is an elevated means of language. It's something that catches our gaze at this level and draws us just a little bit higher. And though the manner of the word becoming flesh may have been unbelievably humble, it is a word that takes our gaze and draws our attention heavenward because the word speaks something to us we use words for all sorts of reasons and as texting has predominated at least the majority of my communication with a lot of people i realized how flippant i could use words and now we have abbreviations of words idk btw brb Etc., fill in the blank. And so, and I can even catch myself here just throwing out words because I know I need to fill space. Because if I don't keep sound going, they're not going to keep listening and it'll seem like I'm not prepared. And what would they think of me then? Been heard everywhere else in just did. <laughs> But in poetry, again, this, this elevated state of the word, in poetry, Each syllable, each consonant, each vowel, they're all strung together and connected to the previous one so purposefully as to create a cumulative word. This summer I read an epic poem, and we get the word epic from somewhere because it was really long, and it took me a long time to read, but the cumulative word that that epic poem, the Iliad, said to me was man must have needed battle. (laughs) Boy, did Homer like to talk about spears impaling people. But it also talks about heroism. It also talks about the intervention of, for the Greeks, of their gods and all that kind of stuff. But there was a cumulative word spoken by the poem. The work itself that artfully abides with us. And so when we think about words, they remain. Now, they may stay on paper or on your Audible account, or they may reside on the internet somewhere, but they abide with us. Oftentimes, they enrich us. And to be sure, words outlast us. And in this particular instance, in John chapter 1, a word can save us. And there's something provocative about the word's perceived passivity. If you think about Jesus, sometimes I'll think, why doesn't he just come in and straighten people out and the church is so broken and messed up, he could fix all of that stuff. There's something provocative though of how the silent word, as we sang earlier, pleads on our behalf. How he stands seemingly idly by while the world pursues its own decadence. The world passes by not yielding to the word, not yielding to the world's own brokenness, not responding to the beauty of the world, But the word (coughs) abides with open arms, gesturing to a fuller, freer, more human existence. Jesus, this little baby born in Bethlehem, who spent time in Egypt fleeing the wrath of King Herod, who grew up in a little town, town called Nazareth, which is still kind of a dirty little town in the north of Israel. He comes among us and stands among us in power. And He shows us how to be truly and fully human. Do you know what I mean when I say that? There's a vision that God has for us, for our lives, for you and for me. And yes, He wants us to have a relationship with Him. and He wants us to be full of His Holy Spirit. He wants us to feed on his word and sacraments. He wants us to pour out our lives in love and mission for him. But we're human and that's good. Yes, we're broken. Yes, we're fallen. Yes, because Adam and Eve took the apple. Bad things came but had they not taken the apple God's grace would not have come in in such a radical way, says an old, old poem. So we have this picture, this vision of what it means to be fully human. And that's what God is unfolding in you and me. We're not meant to be necessarily super normal. We're meant to be fully human. Now, I'll talk about what normative is here in a second. But remember that. He came to make us fully human. The word and its beauty saves us, pronouncing forgiven over those who are marred by shame. The word rescues us, giving itself as a ransom for the rascal that could care less. And for those of us who are recipients of the word, for those of us like John 1.12 who have received him, who have believed on his name, what does this say about us and our presence in a world with no need of the word? Well, it says that we abide and we incarnate the same word in word and sacrament, that we are to be the word of God, not in our own power, but by being us, by, fe- by being filled with the spirit, by learning from his holy word, by feasting at his table in his sacrament, by spending our lives in love and mission, by living lives of truth, beauty, Goodness. But the word also speaks to us the word adoption. And yet, to all who had received the word, who would believe on his name, he gave the right to them to be called children of God. But before this word came, we did have a relationship with God, didn't we? St. Paul says that the we were imprisoned by the law and then it's almost like he corrects himself he says well the law was our guardian think of like a custodian so we have this this relationship with god but it's more contractual seeming or in ancient near eastern terms it's covenantal you remember god made a covenant with abraham he renewed that with his sons isaac and jacob he made a covenant with the nation of israel at sinai And Jesus comes, this word, this new word comes to speak a new word of a new covenant. So therefore now, because he was born, not too early, not too late, but in the fullness of time, because he was born of a woman, remember, the word spoken is manner and matter. It matters how he came to us. He was born of a woman. Not only that, but he was born under the law, so that he might rescue and ransom all those who are under the law. And he, re- he moves us from this place of covenantal relationship to actual sonship, where St. Paul says, without hesitation, you are God's sons and daughters. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba is the name that Jesus used of the Father. No one in their right mind ever would have used the word Abba to speak of God until Jesus said, you want to pray? Pray like I pray. Our Father, not my Father. What he's saying is my father in heaven is your father in heaven. So we move from this contractual place of being held in custodianship, in trust, as it were, by the law, into a place of complete and beautiful sonship. The son comes to us to make us sons and daughters. The word comes as a new covenantal word spoken to us. And as if that change in status wasn't dramatic and delightful and loving and spectacular enough, he completes or fulfills our adoption by taking himself in the Holy Spirit and putting himself inside of us, filling us with his Spirit. there's another way to make somebody your son or your daughter. I don't know what it is. But this word has been spoken to us, not just artfully, not just beautifully, and not just truthfully, of all three of those, yes, but powerfully and changing the entire world. Three observations in light of the Word made flesh this first Sunday after Christmas. One... We don't stand in judgment over this word. In other words, this word of God is not something that we critique. It's not something that we can excise or say, well, Jesus, I like how you did this, and you were a real tough guy to those money changers. However, we can't do that. We are not the arbiters of the word or of truth. We don't weigh it and measure it. Rather, Grace and truth and love. The word weighs and measures us. Secondly, the miracle of the incarnation begets the miraculous in our own lives. What seems otherworldly is meant to become normative. In other words, our expectations are lifted. A virgin gives birth to a boy, that boy grows to a man. Dies on the cross, taking all the sin of the world on himself to redeem the world to God the Father. That's a miracle. And because we are sons and daughters of God, because that spirit resides in us, the miraculous is now normative. We should ask for God to expand our faith, to enlarge our hearts, to expect the miraculous to happen. Will it always happen? would be no hospitals or cancer wards there'd be no dead people but the miraculous does happen and because the incarnation is so the miraculous is begotten in our own lives it's just like poetry when you read those words a verse I'll just give you an example I got a, a wonderful poetry book for my wife for Christmas And I've been reading it and thinking I understand it, not really sure, not sure it matters if I understand it or not. But in a a real way, I'm kind of taken to another world. It's absolutely beautiful. And then when I go back and read something else, maybe a different genre or another writer that I've really liked, I thought, gosh, you know, this guy's a really great writer, but this poetry has lifted my expectations. Of course I'm going to, Read other people, I'm gonna read the newspaper, I'm gonna read E.B. White and David McCullough and whoever else reading E.B. White right now. Not Charlotte sure Swag in his essays. But poetry has lifted my expectations. And friends, the incarnation does the same for us. We can pray with faith. We can pray with expectation. We don't have to be consigned to hopelessness and helplessness. The word is our hope and he out of his own mouth tells us to pray that way and lastly the question I have for you is have you made room in your life for this word we sang it tonight this is a relationship it's not something we magically say yes I want the word of God in my life all right Jesus here we go and then you're done have you ever been in a relationship with another person have you been married or dated or have family members? Then what do you have to do? Well you've got to show up, which I'm told is half bad. You've got to work at it. You've got to listen to the word. You've got to listen to God. You have to act like you care. He doesn't need you to care. But if you know what's good for you, if you know what's delightful to you, if you know what is most delicious for your soul, then doggone it, you will make room for him. And you will work on that relationship. When those untruthful thoughts come in, you'll say, you know what? My Abba has told me that's not true. That doesn't agree with the word made flesh. I'm gonna set that aside. Honor him with your thoughts. Honor him with your actions, with your prayers. Let us don't pray these measly prayers of well, if you would like to God, we sure would hope that. Maybe if you're not too inconvenienced, no! That doesn't honor the creator of the universe! Have you made room for him in your heart? He is the word made flesh he is the word spoken at just the right time he is the most truthful the most good and the most beautiful word we will ever hear one day see spoken let us pray forgive us for our lack of faith O god in this christmas season forgive us in many ways to relegating to our own expectations. Let the truth, beauty, and goodness of the word made flesh, O Father, raise our expectations and lift us to see the power of who you are, of how you're transforming us, Lord, into a new creation even now and how you're making us fully human, living beyond the curse that came in the garden. Show us, fill us, Holy Spirit. Guide us, our Father, we pray. And O Word of God, Lord Jesus Christ, in your power and in your